Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. It's Wednesday night, and it's time for the happiest hour on the internet, Friends in Fiction. We are really looking forward to spending the evening with all of you, so let's get started. I'm Christy Woodson-Harvey. I'm Patty Callahan-Henry. I'm Mary Kay Andrews. I'm Kristen Harmel. And this is Friends in Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support independent bookstores, authors, and librarians. Tonight, we will be talking with the one and only Shelby Van Pelt, who we know a lot of you on the page are really big fans of author of Remarkably Bright Creatures. Oh, I'm so excited. But before we begin, did you know that we at Friends in Fiction are currently reading As the Wicked Watch by Tamron Hall in our Behind the Book book club with Fable? So of course, you know Tamron as an Emmy-winning TV journalist, um, host of her own show. And we hope that you caught our amazing episode with her a few weeks ago. I'm still thinking about how you know, open, how honest, how real she was with us. It was so much fun. But you know, her book is that way too. And in the Fable app, we're diving deep into it. It's called As the Wicked Watch. Um, I'm on Fable leading the discussion. All you have to do to read along with us is to download the Fable app, join our premium club. It's just $5 a month. Um, and if you have not joined joined yet, you can download the Fable app and take advantage of the 14-day free trial that Fable is offering right now. You can learn more at fable.co backslash friends and fiction. And have you heard our new Friends and Fiction first edition box is available now from the indie bookstore Booktown with an E on the end in Manasquan, New Jersey. And it features signed first editions from all four of us in 2023. And you'll receive in your subscription box a kitchen towel that says dinner can wait. It's time for friends and fiction. You can order your subscription box. Order multiple copies, okay? <laughs> they make great gifts. You can order them right now at Booktown with an E on the end dot com. And have you seen our fall schedule for Wednesday night show? It's under announcements on our Facebook page for all of you, 92 thousand friends Woo! and fiction members and counting right now so next week we have elizabeth strout with her new book lucy by the sea and we hear you we hear you we listen to you and we know you have been asking for a just us episode and the following week we will do just that and we have so much in store for you Mm -hmm. Speaking of just us, um, we know y'all have been loving our Ask Us Anything segment, and we are loving it too. So we just wanted to let you know that we are going to be doing that at the end of the show tonight. We'll be um, taking your questions live. So drop a question for us or for Shelby at any point in the show. But for now, 
we want to get to Shelby Van Pelt and then let Shelby get back to her night and her children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're so looking forward to this. So Shelby Van Pelt's debut novel, Remarkably Bright Creatures was released earlier this year. Although I'm not sure we need to say that. I feel like everybody knows that. I feel like it's the book everyone is talking about, right? Absolutely. So the best-selling novel was a read with Jenna Pick for the month of May and the Washington Post calls it an ultimately feel good but deceptively sensitive debut. Born and raised in the Pacific Northwest, Shelby now lives in Chicago with her husband and two children. When she isn't feeding her feeding, this is a hard thing to say. <laughs> she isn't feeding her flash fiction addiction. Good. Juggling Good job. Cats. Yeah, juggling cats while wrangling children. <laughs> Sean, can you bring Shelby on? Hi, Shelby. Hey, Shelby. Hi. Hello. Um, we are so excited to have you here. So to start us off, we can't imagine that there is anyone left in the world who does not already know about this book. But for anyone who has not been lucky enough to read it, because it's just an amazing, amazing novel, can you tell us what Remarkably Bright Creatures is about? And then can you tell us what it's really about? <laughs> well, you know, as I like to say, it's it's a book about an octopus, but, you know, it's not really a book about an octopus. Right. Um, <laughs> it does feature an octopus as one of the narrators, um, which was by far the most fun part of the book to write. I think <laughs> yeah. from what I've heard from readers, it's one of their favorite parts of the book to read as well. Sure. But it follows the story of um, a captive giant Pacific octopus in a fictional small town in the Pacific Northwest. And um, an older woman uh, in her 70s named Tova comes to clean the aquarium at night. And it's a job that she just does for something to do. You know, she doesn't really need the money, but she's just lonely and um, kind of keeps busy as a way of coping with a lot of losses that she's had in her life. And so she and Marcellus have kind of a chance encounter and they become friends. And uh, over the course of their friendship, they sort of solve some unanswered questions that Tova has had from, from her life. Beautiful. And so what it's really about, I guess, it's a, it's a novel about a lot of things, um, you know, friendship, like unlikely friendship in particular, um, sort of finding what you don't know that you needed when you're not really looking for it. Yeah. Um, and then about second chances, you know, both Marcellus yeah. and Tova are sort of entering this later phase of life. Um, in Marcellus's case, he's literally counting down the days left in his lifespan because um, he's getting toward the end of it. And so it sort of, um, you know, speaks to it never really being too late to make a change or to to kind of start over. Oh, I love that. So Shelby, this book is humorous and quirky, heartwarming and page turning, sort of all the things at once. I mean, you just hit every nail right on the head. It's amazing. So you deal a lot with the theme of grief in this novel, um, not only the grief of Tova losing her husband, but also her really impossible grief of living with the anguish of having a son who disappeared and never finding out what happened to him. Um, so Tova seems somewhat stuck in her life and Marcellus, the octopus, is um, is stuck as well, but in a much more literal sense. So um, I, I guess what I'm wondering is, what do you hope that readers take away from this novel overall? But specifically, what do you hope they take away when it comes to grief and moving forward in life? Because it kind of seems like um, that's that's what we're really circling around in this book, I think. Yeah, I mean, circling around it literally, because I think that was one of the <laughs> images that 
um, really inspired me when I was first starting to write the book was, you know, just thinking of watching fish in a fish tank and the way that they just kind of circle and take the same path over and over again and, you know, never really break out of sort of a, a habit, really. And it is very much a book about getting unstuck. Um, it was kind of funny. I did a lot of the writing of it during the first months of the pandemic and kind of felt like I was in an aquarium sometimes, you know, yeah. looking at my front window, look, kind of watching, you know, the world go by or like not go by at that time. So I think, you know, for me, that kind of that theme very much resonated at that time in my life, too, that, you know, hey, you know, sometimes you just find yourself stuck and you've got to kind of, yeah. kind of um, do what do what it takes to become unstuck. And, uh, you know, in Tilda's case, that's really just like kind of making herself vulnerable in a way that she has never allowed herself to do before. And um, so, yeah, yeah, I think if um, if I, if there was something that I hoped people might take away from it, you know, aside from I've had a lot of people say they won't eat octopus anymore, which is cool. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> Me. I yeah, never did. First things I thought, I was like, I will never oh, again. I've probably yeah. eaten it like twice anyway, but I was like, never again, not ever. Um, you know, Shelby, um, we know that you were born and raised in the Pacific Northwest. And we love the small town feel of this novel and the Puget Sound setting. How did, we're wondering, I'm wondering, how did your upbringing inspire the setting and the very vivid sense of community that resounds in this novel? And also, were you into aquariums before you decided to write this book? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, so I love small towns and books, too. And I think they just provide Mm -hmm. such a fun backdrop for people to be in each other's business, um, (laughs) which is something that I always really love in books that I read. So I knew that I wanted that to be a part of a book that I was going to write was that um, you know, the tension between people kind of being gossipy, being in each other's business, and then some people maybe not wanting that as much, um, yeah. but not but not being able to escape it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I grew up in Tacoma, Washington, uh, which is a bigger town than the fictional. Yeah, story. that's not really small. <laughs> no, um, but, you know, I, I spent the first 18 years of my life in that area and just had, you know, family all up and down, still have a lot of family all over Western Washington, and really wanted to capture kind of a a city that was far enough away from Seattle, a town that it, you know, it wasn't really a suburb of Seattle. It was its own town with its own dynamics. Right. Um, but was close enough that it wasn't, you know, totally off the map or, uh, right. you know, backwoods, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, it's just it's just a typical small town. But, um, yeah, I really uh, drew a lot from my childhood. I wouldn't say I was an aquarium enthusiast, but I did love going when I was a kid. Um I went to the Point Defiant Zoo and Aquarium, which is in Tacoma, and they had this old cement aquarium that kind of inspired the Solo Bay Aquarium. Uh, it was just kind of like dirty and smelly and dark and damp, and I really loved it when I was a kid. And I think my parents would get annoyed because we would go to the zoo and they'd be like, oh, let's go look at the lions. And I'm like, no, I want to hang out in the seaweed aquarium. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um Speaking about your upbringing, there's such a sense of family in this novel. And I read that Tova was inspired by your own grandmother, which I love. Um, my grandmother inspired, has inspired some, some characters in some of my books, too. Can you tell us about your grandmother and some similarities and differences to your Tova? Sure. Well, um, yesterday would have been her 98th birthday if she were still with us. um, That popped up on one of my Facebook feeds yesterday and it kind of made me a little teary. Um, Yeah. So my grandmother was kind of this 
older Swedish lady, very similar to Tova in that way, very stoic, like very kind and warm, but like very guarded about herself and what was going on inside. And uh, I was an only child and we lived next to my grandparents when I was a child. So I spent a lot of time with my grandmother, like way more time than the typical person spends with a grandparent. <laughs> and, you know, so I'd kind of follow her around and she did, you know, she was always cleaning. She was always like, oh, I'm going to pull this box of linens down from the linen closet and iron them just, because, <laughs> you know, um, and so she, you know, I just was kind of her little shadow when she was doing a lot of that stuff. So I think I picked up on a lot of her mannerisms, the way that she kind of thought and and spoke and acted. And, you know, as I got older, and particularly after she passed away, you know, my, uh, my grandfather had passed away about 10 years prior to her. So she lived the last decade of her life, just basically doing like that same thing, you know, just in this house, like, you know, having tea, tea and coffee with her friends. But I think that kind of dropped off as she got older, because mm -hmm. it just does. And um, I just always wondered, like, did she ever want to do anything different? Like, did that make her happy? Um, you know, she always seemed like cleaning made her happy, but does that really do it for anyone? I mean, <laughs> I just always wondered what was going yeah, on. Not me. Not me either. <laughs> I always wondered what was going on underneath the surface there. If she was, if she like Tova, you know, was kind of trying to just avoid being real or avoid, you know, that yeah. kind of vulnerability. And connection. Yeah. 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 I think Shelby, I'm just going to guess, but I think <laughs> it's safe to say that you have had a pretty remarkable debut experience. <laughs> and we've read that you, in an interview that you were taking a writing class when you started working on these vignettes from the octopus's point of view and that a real octopus inspired this story. So can you tell all of us about the research you did, especially for Marcellus, the octopus? <laughs> well, well, you know, I didn't really do a whole lot of research before I started writing. Um, Cause like you mentioned, this is sort of something that just popped into my head. And, you know, I was in this uh, fiction writing class and we were asked to just, you know, just do this writing exercise on a piece of notebook paper. And so I kind of started it. And then, that, you know, as I kind of got more into it and was like, oh, I, I want to develop this more then like, yes, I did start going down the many internet rabbit holes that are available <laughs> when it comes to octopuses. And I highly recommend all of them because they are great fun. Um, and I, it felt like a really interesting time to be researching octopuses because it felt like every few weeks, another article would come out of research that they had found like, you know, oh, we found evidence that octopuses can dream. Or, you know, they can do this, this or that. There was one of my favorite ones was they had found out that octopuses will like punch fish that swim by oh. just for fun. Like oh. for sport. And like bored. an older brother does to a younger yes, brother. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but, you know, just so these things come out every so often. And, and now the greatest thing is that people send them to me. I don't even have to look for them on my own. They just land in my inbox and it's oh wonderful. But um, I really did more of the research. I kind of got to, you know, a, a developed Marcellus as a character and then went back and said, okay, um, can I pull this off? Like, you know, where do I need to make adjustments here so that it feels plausible? You know, I don't want to say real because it's fiction and he is a fictional character, but I wanted it to feel plausible enough that it wouldn't make readers roll their eyes or, you know, kind of pull them out of the, out of the story. 
And so I, you know, I asked um, a couple friends who were in the marine biology world to read some of the sections and give me feedback. And I had them put me in touch with some people that could answer like specific questions about, well, you know, when you're giving an octopus anesthesia, like, you know, how does that work? <laughs> All these very technical things that I personally did not have any direct experience with. So I guess I kind of took more of like a ask for forgiveness rather than permission approach to the research. Like I, I did a lot of the character developing and then kind of went back and changed it where I, yeah, changed it where I needed to change it to make it um, be believable. What was the writing exercise? What did they ask you to do? Did they say like, write from a creature's point of view? Because I'm, I'm thinking back to when I was taking writing classes 25 years ago or whatever, and I would have been scared to take that chance. So it, this is, I love this, but I'm curious what the actual writing exercise was. I think it was an, I think it was an unconventional point of view or an unexpected point of view. Maybe it was an un something. Um, It was not a person point of view. I mean, I guess it could be a person, but uh, I don't know. And again, this was just like, you know, this was the first 15 minutes of this class. It was like, just, you know, meant to kind of get the juices flowing type of thing. Um, You know, I don't think any of us were meant to take what we wrote there and make it into a novel. Um, I certainly didn't expect to until kind of later down the line. Well, that's the best part that you didn't expect to. That's the best part. You were just writing what felt fun and and interesting to you. So we have a lot of aspiring writers who tune in. (laughs) And sometimes, especially with a debut like yours, it can look easy from the outside. I mean, we know it's not. Can you tell us just a little bit about the process of getting your path to publication? You know, you've explained a little bit about how you wrote it, where it came from, but how how did it go from that writing exercise to publication? Well, it was it was off and on for a few years. I mean, that writing exercise was probably six or seven years ago at this point. Oh wow! Um, okay, you know, and I, I think I was pregnant with my um, daughter, who's now eight. So maybe it was even longer than that. But um, but yeah, so it was very much up and down for a few years, and um, you know, really, it was about 2019 that I kind of got more serious um, about, well, maybe I should actually try to write a novel. I had joined a couple of writing groups at that point and was sort of inspired and fired up by all the people that were talking about querying and, you know, kind of taking it to the next level. So I decided I wanted to try to do that. And um, there were a lot of kind of wrong turns along the way on the writing. I didn't know how to write it. I mean, I didn't know how to write a novel. I didn't understand a lot of what I am starting to understand better now about, you know, acts and beats and, you know, how to pace it and how to keep the tension um, kind of ebbing and and flowing in certain parts. Uh, You know, really the things that make a reader's experience of reading a story. Like I knew how to write. I was always pretty good at writing. Like I, I had that part down and I had the characters down, but figuring out how to make them into a story was something that took a lot of, um, practice and kind of frustration and mistakes along the way. Um, and at one point, I think I, go- I was like Googling, you know, how to, how to write a novel. Like just, I was literally um, an amateur hour over here. But uh, <laughs> hey, every time we start another book, we're yeah, amateur hour. We feel like that every we time. We start again <laughs> every time. I'll text them. How do you, you guys, how do we write a book? I, I don't. What's a scene? <laughs> I have a scene. And I bet you all the aspiring writers out yeah. there 
We're going to post questions. Just exactly what was that writer's workshop she took and can we take that? Yeah, really. <laughs> you know what, though? You, the thing is, you can because it was not anything fancy. It was just one of these like continuing education. Um, you know, the, this one, I was living in Atlanta at the time. It was at Emory University. I think they're still offering it. Evening it's like an evening thing. Yeah, um, it's the first it class I took. Really? Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. <laughs> that 20 years ago, my first class was evening at Emory. Yeah. Oh, I taught um, well. at Emory. Yeah, you, you, you taught in it? Oh my wow. God. Let's go back to evening with Emory. I mean, oh no my God. <laughs> I was a nurse at Emory. And so I saw the classes and I was like, I'm going to take that. I was What's literally, that? I had just, I had just moved to Atlanta and we didn't know anyone there. And um, at, our, at our house, we got, the, <laughs> we got the, you know, that this was when they did like the paper catalogs that came yeah, in the yes. mail. And it was for the previous resident because, uh, you know, we were still getting some of their mail. But I'm like flipping through it. I was like, I should take a class. You know, that would be good to do something. And so that was the class I took. And it wow. literally changed my life. So uh, Ditto, yeah, that's so crazy. <laughs> that's nuts. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I love that. We always find these like crazy commonalities on yeah. the show. It's the best. Yeah. Well, Shelby, we I've read that you said that you'll never be a plotter and an outline or an outliner because your brain quote doesn't work like that. And I was like, ding, 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 like mine doesn't either. I totally understand. Even now, I was like, for my 2024 novel, I'm going to try to like outline a little bit. Like I've got nothing, nothing. Like I can't do it. It's like until I sit down and like start going, there's just nothing there. So um, I really related to that. So thank you for that. Um, so we know you're not a plotter, um, but what is your process like? And also, do you think that your process will evolve as you continue to write more? Uh, I hope so. Um, <laughs> because this, you know, if, 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 okay, if you're a plotter and this is just how it works in my imagination, I am thinking you can just plot your novel and then you just write it and then you edit it and you're done, right? Like, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> I would like to learn how to do that. Um, yeah, no, um, I think going into my second book, which is I'm still very early in the process of that, obviously, um, I will have a better idea of what to do. <laughs> Hopefully not make so many kind of errors along the way. Um, but yeah, I don't, you know, Sorry. I've... Oh, shoot. Sorry, my phone is talking. <laughs> you know what it was? It was. I was like, I hear Siri. Siri I know I hear Siri. I uh, turned off every every device except that one. Apparently, um, <laughs> how do you write a novel? Yeah. Maybe Siri can help me out with this. Yeah, um, she's going to answer you again. So, but yeah, no, I don't. I mean, I I don't know how to do it though because it's like I I sit down and try to make even a rough outline, and I'm just like, I don't know what happens like you know I sometimes I will have an idea of how I want it to end like when I wrote um creatures I I knew how I wanted it to end like especially the parts with Marcellus and I won't spoil anything for folks who haven't read it but I kind of knew how that scene was going to look and I knew that that's what I was building toward but um you know beyond the beginning and end I feel like it's just you know kind of feel your way through the dark hopefully a little bit more efficiently next time um hopefully I can find the mistakes earlier before I've, you know, wasted days and days writing material that ultimately is not going to work. Good luck with that. 
Yeah, <laughs> let us know how that works out. Yeah, you find, you find out how to do that, please. Then, if you Jen find the secret, yeah. <laughs> so, somebody on this show said one time, and I cannot remember who it was. I wish I could, but they were like, "You either pay up front or you pay at the yes. end." Ariel Lahan outlining. Who was it? Ariel Lahan. Yes. So it's like you either like you're you're bleeding through that outline line at the beginning or you're bleeding yeah. through all those edits at the end but it's like at some point you got to pay the piper for your yeah. life I mean, for me it's like i get to the end of the book and i'm like is there a timeline here because <laughs> it feels like maybe there's not and it would be great if i could do that up front but again so that's mary Kay's forte timelines yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One time my husband, I had my timeline so messed up. I gave it to my husband, who's an engineer. And I said, I just need you to un untangle it. <laughs> he, he looked at me after a few hours and he said, well, one problem is you've got five weekends in the month. <laughs> <laughs> There's only four weeks in a month. So that's one of the problems we've got. <laughs> I don't think I've ever told this on this show, but my debut novel went all the way through copy editing. And um, my best friend is a CPA and I sent it to her. She's also, she's like a huge reader. And I sent it to her. I was like, I'm really nervous, but like, we just read it and like, tell me what you think. She emailed me back and she's like, I love it. It's amazing. And she's like, but, but, but the time, like none of the timeline is right. Like you, it, wow. it's, it's like a disaster. Um, and so we had to like pull the book back and like redo the whole timeline. And I'm like, what if that book had gone out? And like, she, you know, had good catch, good catch. Now she has to wow. read all the books. Yeah. Um, okay. So Shelby, this could be in the vault and that's okay. But are you working on anything? And if so, can you give us a <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm trying. Uh, I think like, let me have my moment with this. <laughs> when you bring your baby home from the hospital and someone's like, when are you having your next one? <laughs> right? <laughs> or well, you get married and they're like, when are you having kids? Yeah. yeah. No, you know, I am. Um, I'm not a fast writer. I've learned that after become, you know, getting more in this kind of author world and, and seeing people who apparently write much faster than I do. But um, so I'm, I'm working my way through it. I'm a slow writer. Um, I'm kind of an exploratory writer, but, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's not going to be a sequel. Um, I have thought a lot about that and sometimes I still do think about it. Like, you know, could I do a sequel? Could I do a prequel? Like, is there any way to add more to the story somehow? And I always come back to like, I just don't think so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, I could, I but story. it's yeah. like, yeah, the, I told the story and I loved how it ended and it, that's the end. Um, I will say I do, I love like weird stuff. And so I, I think my next book, um, it will have some kind of weirdness, <laughs> something that's, you know, like makes people say like, what? Okay. Um, so I'm working on figuring it. As of right now, there is one character who is not fully human. Um, Ooh. but that's all I'll say. That's awesome. I, I feel like we've just written her new tagline, like Shelby Van Pelt, some kind of weirdness. What? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that should be across the, like the top of your website. No, that's awesome. So Shelby, these days being a book club pick is kind of the dream. And I think um, <laughs> that most authors out there, us included, have envisioned what it might be like to get that call. So can you tell us about that moment that you found out Remarkably Bright Creatures was a read with Jenna Pick. Um, and did you have to keep it a secret for a very long time? That would just be torture. Well, yes, it was terrifying. <laughs> um, yeah, I think 
we got the call sometime maybe I want to say it was maybe February um, before the May release. So a good probably wow, three, okay. three months in advance. And I remember my publicist and my editor called me and we were all like squealing, <laughs> um, you know, just pacing around my living room, just squealing because we, we had submitted it to the Read With Jenna folks, I think the previous summer. I think it was still like wow. I was still editing it when we sent it to him. And then, you know, we just hadn't heard for so long. I kind of had put it out of my mind as like, okay, this is probably just not going to happen. Um, so it was almost like this great surprise that kind of, you know, resurfaced from the depths of where I had suppressed it down to protect my own emotions. Uh, and so it was great. And we had this celebration for like, uh, you know, 20 minutes. And then they were like, okay, now take this information and like put it in a vault because if it gets out, they can take it away. Ooh. Um, and so I remember my publicist saying, yeah, you know, you can, you can tell your husband maybe, but only if you're, if you're okay with uh, pursuing divorce, if it gets out. So, <laughs> <laughs> and of course I did tell him and, you know, we had a really nice bottle of champagne that night. It was great. But um, yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's a great thing, obviously. Yeah. Uh, it did add an extra layer of just, you know, stress and stakes to yeah. something that was already a pretty um, high stakes situation or just high, I don't want to say high stress because it's stress implies that it's bad, but um, God, I'm a writer. I oh, should know what, know what the word is. It's yeah. good stress. There's yeah. good um, stress. Yeah. But yeah, it heightened everything. It felt like it just heightened yep. everything yeah. quite a bit. It just calmed um, feelings. Yeah. yeah. And then we weren't sure. I mean, it was because of like, you know, COVID, like Omicron was raging at the time. Yeah. Um, it was just this unknown of like, well, are we going to go to New York? Like, am I going to go on the show? Um, and so that was just kind of remained a question mark until a few weeks before. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was just like this, you know, keep, keep all of the last half of May free so that you can, you know, be ready to get on a plane and go oh my gosh. Like, okay. <laughs> just put your life on hold. That's crazy. I mean, happily I will, of course, but <laughs> Yeah, I think we all will. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, oh my gosh. Well, Shelby, this is great. We have so many amazing um, questions that are coming in for you. Um, Debbie Cooperman Stone just said, remarkably bright creatures for book hangover of the year. <laughs> um, I'm going to save that. There, there was another. Oh, I love this. Kim Lewis said, Shelby, your book made me look at octopuses in a new light, much like water for elephants did for elephants for me, um, which is really, really cool. Um, and Jennifer Golden said, <laughs> yes. And Jennifer Golden said that this was her favorite book of 2022 and she loves the audio version. So that's yeah. amazing. Patty, would you mind pulling a laugh question for us, please? No, I would love to. Okay. So, a lot of people are asking about what we talked about off camera before you came on. Not that. No, I'm kidding. But about the, <laughs> but about the documentary, My Octopus Teacher, that so yes. many people watched during lockdown. So the timing was so interesting. I would love you to tell our viewers a bit about that. Um, yeah. Well, so first off, it's a wonderful documentary. If you haven't seen it, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, it doesn't go in as much to as much of the human drama as like my book does, but it's just fascinating. And I think it's like an hour and a half. It's not super long or anything. I watched it with my kids and, and they loved it too. Um, and 
<laughs> my octopus teacher. Um, so I, I will say what I said off camera. Um, I had just, I had finished writing my book and was getting ready to query it, like send it out to agents when my octopus teacher came out. And I remember seeing the little blurb for it on Netflix and my heart just dropping into right. my stomach thinking like someone, someone did the same idea. Someone made a movie like it's, it's over before it's even begun for me. Um, and I think every writer has that fear. Certainly all of my writer friends, it's just this huge anxiety that always is in the back of your mind that what you're doing isn't actually original. And, um, you know, and there's maybe some, there is a lot of, you know, nothing ever really is totally original. So I, I get that. But, um, but it ended up being the biggest stroke of luck that I could have possibly asked for because, you know, it, it came out, everyone was watching it during COVID and, you know, I sent my manuscript out to these agents and it was just top of mind for everyone, like octopuses, you know, it's getting all this critical acclaim and, you know, that was just one of those lucky things that I, I didn't plan it that way. Um, yeah. But I, it was very, very lucky for me. <laughs> wow. No, great synchronicity. I mean, yep. I think sometimes that we, if we follow our impulses, like you did with the octopus, these beautiful synchronistic things happen. So it was a bit more than luck. You did a yeah. lot of hard work. Shelby, Anissa Armstrong is asking, was Marcellus the hardest character to write? And uh, if so, or not, why not? Or why? He was the most fun character to write, for sure. Um, definitely the thing that kind of kept me going and the character that um, I don't know if you guys get this when you kind of are doing a lot of drafting, the characters kind of live in your head and you'll like hear them talking and reacting to things. Oh, yeah. that are so he yeah. was the one that definitely was most like that for me kind of in my, in my mind. But um, he, I wouldn't say he was, his voice came really naturally to me. Um, this kind of snarky, it's just, it was really fun to write. I mean, it's really fun to write a really judgmental character. It kind of gives you a pass to, you know, kind of be a little bit, you know, snarky and curmudgeonly. Um, I will say it, it takes, it, it was slow writing him because it, it had to be so deliberate. And I was constantly kind of checking the language that I was using against what an octopus could possibly know. And um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was slow, but it was not hard. Um, I was actually doing a little Q&A for um, a magazine that's going to come out next month. And I was playing around with writing one of my answers as Marcellus. And it was like a, um, it was like a, blast from the past, sitting there just trying to channel his voice and, and get it all right. I don't know if I'm going to have the guts to submit it or not. We'll see. That's so cool. I love that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Everyone out there, before we find out what Shelby has been reading and loving lately, we want to remind you to support independent booksellers when and where you can. So of course, you know, that's so important to us on this show. One way to do that is to visit our own friendsandfictionbookshop.org page, where you can find Shelby's book and books by the four of us and our past guests at a discount. All right, Shelby, I want to know what you are reading and what you have on your bedside table <laughs> and if there's anything you've really loved lately. Oh my gosh, so much. Well, I'm a person that always has usually more than one book going at once. <laughs> yeah. So I've got like the bedside book, I've got my car book, um, I recently got a Kindle, which I had been holding out <laughs> for years. 
And, um, but finally broke down and got one largely because I'm starting to get people that want me to read their book to blurb it, which is awesome. awesome. And, yeah. you know, a lot of times it's like a, it's a PDF that you get. And so I needed right. to just be able to, to load it on a Kindle and I actually love it. I, can, I you know, it just lives in my purse. And if I've got a few minutes, I can read a little bit. Um, but also on my Kindle, I have lessons in chemistry, which I know that all of you guys have you know, everyone, it's, it's another book that I feel like is everyone's talking about right now. So that's probably yeah. not like a huge surprise to I anyone. I just but, started um, listening to it. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I have it on audio. Well, just started it. Yeah. Well, so many people had said, um, the, the dog and there's a dog named 630 that was like, people were saying that it reminded them of Marcellus. And so I was like, okay, oh. I need, I need to read. I've heard so much great things about this book. I need to read it. And it is, it's a really fun read. Um, I just started this, um, the Inheritance oh. of Orchidad Divina. I think I'm saying that oh. right. And this is a book that I'm reading purely for fun, ah. um, which I don't always get to do as much of anymore, you know, oh, between yeah. kind of, you know, the blurbing and just sort of like research yeah. for other books. Yeah. Uh, but a friend of mine gave this to me and she said, you know what? It's like Encanto for grownups. And I said, oh, sign that. me up. <laughs> Yeah, and awesome. I'm only I'm only like three or four chapters in, but it is just it's great. It's fun. But you know, awesome. it's, not, it's not a totally fluffy read either. It's got these really um, like, you know, generational family themes and sort of cultural connections and things like that. So it's, I'm really excited to see where it goes. Cool. That's awesome. Right. Well, you saw us for sure. Um, yeah, great. wouldn't mind sticking around for just one more minute. We do have um, one more question for you, but we have a couple of announcements first. And that's right. And the big one is that, you know what, we're hitting the road again this year. Um, the four of us, we're going to do at least four Friends in Fiction live events, one during each of our upcoming book tours. So stay tuned for news about those four events so you can mark your calendars and make your travel plans to join us as we take our show on the road in April, May, June, and again in the fall. <laughs> And we are wondering, have you listened to our Writer's Block podcasts with all of us and the librarian we love, Ron Block? I mean, you know, he's just one of, one of the gang. We love him so much. So we'll always post links under announcements each time a new episode drops every Friday. On the most recent episode, Ron and Meg talked to best-selling author and Oscar-nominated screenwriter Tom Parada about his new novel, Tracy Flick Can't Win, his sequel to Election that was two decades in the making. <laughs> so this week, Ron and Christy will talk to Pulitzer Prize-winning novelist Andrew Sean Greer about his latest, Less is Lost. I cannot wait to hear this. Um, I, I got to do an event with him about a week and a half ago. He was so funny. Um, and I know, I just know that he had such a great time with Christy and Ron. I cannot wait to hear that one. So remember to listen, to review, to subscribe, all the things, the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. Yes. So Shelby, one question that we just always love to ask, what were the values around reading and writing in your house when you were growing up? Oh, well, I was an only child, so I read a lot. Um, <laughs> like I said, you know, when I wasn't hanging out with my grandma and cleaning, I was probably with a book in my bedroom. You know, it's really wild and exciting childhood around my house. <laughs> um, but no, it was definitely we were we were definitely a, a book family. I was definitely a library kid who would go and you know take out as many books as they would allow me. And it's kind of funny as I got you know older into being like a you know, kind of adolescent and teenager, I leaned hard into reading like the junk, <laughs> you know, like the, the Sweet Valley High and the oh, Babysitter's yeah. Club. And I just, yeah. um, it's funny, I was probably a much faster reader back then. 
because I would just devour those books like one after another. Um, and, you know, all the library had, I would, I would take them. Um, but yeah, we were, um, we were definitely a reading family and it's definitely something that is very important to me with my own kids to cultivate that. It's funny. I have a, a daughter who's very into reading, you know, she's kind of like me, she'll just devour books. And then my son, who's kind of like, eh, you know, he's, he's six. So he's, he's young, but yeah. we're, you know, I'm hoping that he finds that spark and he may not, you know, and that, you know, that's okay. Not everyone is like that, but, um, but selfishly, I kind of hope that he does. It's definitely something that is important in our house. That's awesome. I can like close my eyes and see the Sweet Valley shelf at my library. <laughs> yes. You can like take out like three at a time because they're like M&Ms, you know, you just run. Yep. <laughs> um, Shelby, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Um, can you tell everybody where they can keep up with you online? Uh, sure. Um, I'm mostly on Instagram is where I'm most active. And that is uh, Shelby Van Pelt writes. Um, I have a, a Twitter that, oh God, Twitter. You know, I, I, just, I go in there some, I, I can only go in there when I'm of a mindset of like, I am just going to dip a toe in and do one thing yeah. and then hightail it out of there. But it's, it's at Shelby Van Pelt. Um, and then my website is just shelbyvanpelt.com. That's great. Well, Shelby, thank you so much for being here. Um, we we really appreciate it. You've been an incredible guest, and we hope that you'll come back again when you have a new book out. Thank you thank so much for having Shelby, me. Shelby, it was a pleasure. <laughs> thank you, thank Shelby. you. Thank you. All right, friends, it's time for what is quickly becoming our favorite segment of the show, Ask Us Anything. But before we start, there were a couple of comments slash quick questions um, Janet Ford Patty wants to know if you have new glasses because she loves them. I do. I can't believe oh. she noticed. Do you like them? They're, They're really you know, great. It's embarrassing that she noticed and like and I none of us did. I well, know. the reason I got, I mean, I still have my old ones, but my old ones are bifocal, so it was always going like that. And these are straight up computer glasses. So ah, thank you for noticing. Appreciate it. They're very cute. Um, and then a lot of people are wanting to know, Kristen, where they can order a signed copy of the 10th anniversary edition of The Sweetness Ooh. Forgetting. Oh, I would like to do that. Also. I mean, I I have one, and I want to. Buy I have one. Yes. <laughs> you know, what's actually really funny is they sent you guys copies, but they never sent me copies. So you guys okay. got your copies yeah, yeah. before I get mine, which is hilarious. I'm still waiting well, on my box to get here. You know, I know. I, yeah. I know. I, I'm quickly realizing that, but, um, no, I think Meg got hers first. <laughs> yeah. So, so we know who's really important here. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I've been holding off on posting this until the bookstore, uh, posts like an actual page saying this, but I'll mm -hmm. sign all the copies. They have at writer's block, which is my local bookstore in the Orlando area. So okay. if you want to be guaranteed a sign, a signed copy, if you order a copy now from writer's block, um, it will be signed. I'm also going to be dropping by Oxford exchange the week the book comes out and I'll sign copies there as well. So, um, so you can get it from either of those two places. And we should tell everyone in our just us episode next week, we're going to spend a while diving into the sweetness of forgetting, yes. talking about it, doing a, a show about it. So um, you'll get to hear a lot more about it. It's, yeah. You know, it's, it's such a funny thing to revisit after 10 years. I mean, you know, I, I wrote it, I wrote it probably 12 years ago. It came out 10 years ago. It's just, it's, it's interesting to have it feel so current again. You know, I don't know. Yeah. It's a weird yeah. feeling. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. And Kathy, our, our warrior over here, Mary Kay, um, uh, 
as most of you know, had knee replacement surgery less than a week ago, like didn't even miss a show. I mean, I'm like, it's impressive. Yeah. Um, But a lot of people want to know how you are. I'm sitting upright. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm doing surprisingly well. Um, A dear friend from my hometown of St. Pete, shout out to Marianne Bushman. Woohoo! (laughs) <laughs> therapist and I bribed her into coming up here. She's hanging out in the squirrel's nest and she's making me do my exercises and oh, massaging my knee and doing all the things. Um, but you know, I'm icing, I'm doing my exercises. I'm taking my meds. Um, and you know, I think the worst part about it was dreading it. I will yeah, say, I, I will so. say, picnic, but I will say that, um, I dreaded it so much that, um, my, my surgeon called the night before and he said, well, are you looking forward to this? And I said, I'm looking forward to having it behind me. Yeah. But everybody, thank you all. So, so many people have emailed and sent nice things. Ron sent me some delicious, um, truffles today. Yeah. Yes. And some other people, sweet people sent me some stuff. Um, so anyway, yes. Thanks everybody for your good wishes. And all I can say is if you have to do it, do the prehab. <laughs> the rehab. Do you think it helped all the prehab? Do you think it helped? Yeah, I do. Um, the physical therapist has said, you know, cause I'm not, I was not an athlete. I was not anybody that worked out, but I started going to prehab um, back in June. Oh, wow. Yeah. Trying to bring, build up some mu- muscle strength. So, Oh, that's awesome. Do what they tell you to do. Amazingly that works. Yeah. It's shocking how when you do it, sometimes I like think about things and I'm like, I don't know why this isn't working. Now, I haven't done it, but I'm thinking about well, it. I've read about it. I've read about it, but I don't understand why it hasn't done anything for me. Right. Well, I, I hate it when you do nothing and you end the and, and, and you don't get the results that you want. <laughs> well, Barbara Logic coming in hot with a really great first ask us anything question. Even from like our first show, Barbara's always, I remember like one of our yeah. first shows thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm totally going to murder her name and her messaging and being like, no, you said it right. And I was like, yes. Um, <laughs> so she wants to know, how do you decide who to ask to blurb your book? I'd love to know oh, how that wow. works. And that's so interesting because I think that's we're like kind question. of all, or I'm sort of just starting that, which is funny because I know yeah. you guys are sort of ahead of me in that arena. So um, Patty, why don't you start off? You know, asking it. So for those who don't know what a blurb is that Barbara's asking about, it's the quotes you see on the front of books, like Christy Woodson Harvey's, this is her, this is the best book of the century. Mm-hmm. Love. <laughs> Patty that was my actual blurb for Patty's book. Yeah, so. it was. And so, um, <laughs> you know, blurbs are hard. Y'all, we don't like asking for them. We love yeah. giving them. But it's 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 part of the business. Yeah. And the, the way that we decide or or I think we'll all have kind of the same answer is who who's if you would say if you like this, you'll like this. Right. So, for example, of course, we've all blurred each other's books. So setting that aside, like if it, one of my blurbs on my new book is Christina Baker Klein. So if you, it's it's essentially saying if you like her book, then you need to trust what she says about this book. So that's how 
we decide who to ask and who to um, humble ourselves in front of um, to ask. Yeah. How about It's really stressful. I think it's stressful. It is. It's hard. Yeah. Well, you know, because I think you're aware that you're asking, A, you're asking a big favor because, you know, you're not saying, would you read my book for pleasure? You're saying, would you read my book by a certain deadline and then summarize that book with hopefully yeah. kind words. And then you also put yourself in the position if you're asking people who you really like and respect, like, what if they say, sure, I'll give it a read. And then you never hear from them again. <laughs> like, how do you internalize like, that? Did they forget or did they hate the book? And you'll never yeah. ask. You'll never, you'll never ask. No. no. It's like, it's really easy to go to a lot of dark places in your head with blur blurb yeah. requests, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I agree with that. Yeah. I started today and I'm like, oh, it's just, God, just it's terrible. But, but then I love it when people ask me. Like, I'm so flattered when people ask yeah. me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's always so, flattering. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know that you're asking them not only to read it, but then to think of the right thing to say. Right. Yeah. And you know everybody's busy yeah. and like yeah. they have And you know what people's lives are. But yeah. that, that's how we decide. Yeah. So I really love this question from Jody Henderson Barger. If you were not a writer, what job would you like to pursue? Or alternatively, what are your hobbies? Ooh. Kathy, you want to take that one first? Well, I'd definitely be a math teacher. Those <laughs> 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 <was> poor children. <laughs> no one would ever be at grade level. <laughs> oh, Kathy. <laughs> Uh, I think it would be no surprise to anybody that maybe I would be an antique dealer. Ah. Of my own shop. <laughs> Meg said A's for everyone. Now let's read books. No, A's for wine opener. <laughs> I love that. Kristen, what about you? Well, that was the perfect segue because I think I would do something in the wine industry. Um, you know, because I'm just fascinated by it. I think I always was, but then writing The Winemaker's Wife, which required me to really learn a lot about how to make champagne, um, I think just kind of opened up this whole different side of it to me. I think it's magical. I think it's magical and fascinating. And um, I don't know that I'd be any good at it. I don't know that my my palate would be um, particularly an expert one, but um I think I'd be involved in some way in winemaking or um, wine distribution. Or I'd go back to playing the drums, which I did in high school. So, but that's that nobody, wants, nobody wants that. Oh my gosh, that would be so great. You could play the drums and I could sing, which I'm not yes. good at. She didn't say, are you good at it? She just said, what would you, exactly. would you want? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Patty, what about you? Oh gosh, I'm sitting here like if I wasn't, if I was not a writer, what would I be pursuing? I would be pursuing being a writer. Yeah. Right? Like I, that's what I would be doing. I would be trying to be a writer. It's like that country song that we love. Oh, the one oh. about singing. What would that song is so good. They no. ask him, what would you do if you weren't doing you weren't this? And he essentially says, I'd be doing this but in small bars and in small, exactly that. Now, I mean, most people know I was a nurse beforehand, so I would probably still be doing it to, um, you know, as a job. And I love decorating and design, but I don't think I could have ever been good enough at it for it to be a job. It's more like a curious pastime. So. No, you totally would have been. Um, I actually worked. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
What would you be? Are you going to be a tennis pro? (laughs) I would love that. Yes, that would be great. Although my calf would have been a problem these last few weeks. I could have been hobbling around feeding balls. You can still tell people what to do. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I worked in finance before I started writing. And I actually really liked that job a lot. I learned a lot. Um, It was really fun. It was a lot of like people's stuff. And um, I really enjoyed that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I went to school for journalism. I loved that. I had a master's in literature so that I could teach. Um, Honestly, when I started writing, I was like really torn about all these different things I wanted to do. I was thinking about going back to school to get my PhD. Um, I kind of wanted to go get another master's in something sciencey. I mean, it, you know, you just, I I was all over the map. Like, I think my mother was worried about me. She was like, oh my God. (laughs) I've got to find yourself. And I was also like, she was also like, why are you such a slacker and have no ambition? Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) No. And I was like doing all these things and like, I was like freelance writing and I was doing my finance job and I went and got my yoga certification. I don't know. It was just like all over the map of like, what am I going to do with my life? And I think it will, I was like really getting ready to start applying to go back to UNC to get my PhD. And, um, Will was like, what do you really want to do? Like, what's the end game? Like, do you really want to go spend five more years at school? I think that's really, I just wanted to be like a student for the rest of my life. Um, But um, I was like, I think I want to write a book. And he was like, well, you should do that. (laughs) Instead of going to spend five years of your life, you know, getting a PhD and like maybe teaching somewhere. Um, So anyway, that was a really long answer, but I don't know. Like, there's so many things that I'm interested in. I also like, I love science. I don't know. I could have done all sorts of things. And I think that's why writing yeah. is so great for all of us because we get to live all these lives. All these different lives. It's like yeah. a spider web, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and, and I've often said, if I could just stick with one time period or one subject or one, but no, I want to live yeah. all the different things, yeah. all of them. Well, speaking of living of all the different things, I would just like you to know, Sean has said in the comments, he'll produce my album. So, I mean, oh. this writing thing's been fun, but... But Sean, what about my album? <laughs> Christy, let's do an album together. Oh, oh okay. Do okay. So, it will, yeah, we'll really show up for that. Definitely. <laughs> um, hey, um, do, you all, do you all think we should, um, the next time we have a Just Us show... That we should ask people um, to guess what hats we'll wear. Yes. Oh yeah, for sure. Because we have a Just Us coming up on October fifth. I'm yes. hosting. It's going to be epic. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be epic. We're going to be coming hot. Don't you guys think there should be headgear? Always, headgear. of course. Yes, always. Um, and let them guess what kind before we even come on. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, I've already decided my hat. I'm or sending the it to all four of hats and assign them to the four people. Ooh. Oh, Meg says we should surprise each other. Mm. Meg's so I like smart. It. I like Meg's it. so smart. I think I know what I'm going to wear. I've got it. Okay, maybe we, well. <laughs> maybe we should be a character from one of our books. That's a good I idea. Like yeah. Uh, Shelby would have to be an octopus. <laughs> oh, that's a great costume, though. Like, yeah. what an easy thing to dress up as versus like us trying to be some like random like person. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. See, we should have asked Shelby, her that. Is is that what she's going to be for for Halloween from now on? Shelby was really thinking when she did that. Like, mm-hmm. just in case there's ever a costume party, like she is gold. She already has it. 
I uh, love talking to her. She was so yeah, interesting. She was great. She was so yeah. great. She really was. All right, ladies. Well, y'all are amazing. Love you all. Let's go eat dinner. Well, wait, <laughs> wait, before we wrap up, one final reminder. You oh, probably know about our Friends in Fiction official book club with Brenda and Lisa. They're always reading fun books, chatting about fun things. Their latest book club chat was with Kimberly Brock last week. So um, you can catch the replay on Facebook or YouTube and mark your calendars right now to join PB&J on October 13th for a happy hour with our amazing podcast host and librarian, Ron Block. Mm-hmm. And in case you don't know, you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube and our brilliant Patty just realized because we are not like so good with the YouTube. We're yet, not but, that techie. Yeah. yeah. But if you notice while you're watching the video, there's a little bell on the top right. And if you click that, you'll get notified when a new episode is up. So we're live there every week, just like we are on Facebook. And if you subscribe, you'll never miss a thing. Be sure to come back here next week, same time, same place, as we welcome number one New York Times bestselling and Pulitzer Prize winning author Elizabeth Strout to talk about her latest novel, Lucy by the Sea. Good night, everybody. Good night, y'all. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.